John chapter 10. And we're going to start in verse 22 and go to verse 42. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe, because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, the scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at the first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. As we've been going through the book of John, uh, we've so far come to many points when Jesus reveals his supernatural power and asks the people around him to believe. And his powers reflected his claim to be God. And as he said, before Abraham was, I am. And last week, Pastor Ted preached on the Good Shepherd and how Jesus is sacrificial, relational, and powerful in the way that he shepherds us. The passage we are going to look at today still resonates with this theme, but in fact it goes a little bit deeper. There's a theme of hope and a theme of assurance. A theme of hope and a theme of assurance. The main idea for this message is simple. Because Jesus is our ever-present hope, there is nothing that can snatch us away from him. Because Jesus is our ever-present hope, 
there is nothing that can snatch us or take us away from him. In the sermon, there's three sections in this text, and I want to bring about these three sections in three ways. The first is the setting. The second is the question. And the third is the conclusion. All of which surround Jesus and the Jews. The setting. As we know that the, the, the feast of uh, dedication um, was at the time when Jesus went into uh, the, Solomon's uh, portico, was walking around during winter. This, this, this was no coincidence. You see, the Jews looked forward to the feast of dedication because it was a feast commemorating the rededication of the temple. In about 165 B.C., um, a man named Judas Maccabeus uh, led a revolt against a Greek, um, a Greek leader, Antiochus Epiphanes. And this Greek leader basically took over the temple and started sacrificing swine, sacrificing pigs on the altar to foreign gods. He desecrated the temple. But in 165, the Jewish people, along with Judas Maccabeus, led a revolt against uh, the Greeks, and they won. And they took over the temple, and they rededicated the temple again. That's why they call it the Feast of Dedication, or as the Jews call it, Hanukkah. Eight days. Eight days in this feast. You see, their hope was in a physical place. Was in, was in the fact that... that, that that the presence of God was in the temple. They could offer their sacrifices, they could meet with God, they could worship God in the temple. But ironically, it's, really, it's interesting that Jesus walks around on the outside, outer courts of the temple, and he walks around, and, and, and it's not for no reason that the text says this, is because the Jews were looking so forward to the Messiah, but they did not know who it was. And Jesus, being the very Son of God, God incarnate in flesh, walked in the temple, walked around the temple, and, and, and they missed it. They, they didn't get it. Their hope, the symbol of hope, was still in the feast of dedication. They thought, they thought the temple was the only way that they could understand the presence of God. And yet Jesus was right there. They saw a symbol of hope, but they did not understand the true hope. Now previously, you'd, you'd, you know that we've, went, we've gone through several chapters of John, and over and over, Jesus continues to tell the people, hey, you need to believe in my work. Believe that it is God who is working through me, that these things that I'm doing, I'm doing in the name of the Father. And yet they didn't believe. They shut their ears they weren't, they weren't hearing. So this symbol of hope was just a symbol. The feast of dedication was just a feast. Jesus was actually there. And yet the Jews did not see him as God. And we'll see later on what this really means. In fact, John chapter 2, verse 9 to 19 to 22, you know, Jesus does say, 
he says, uh, destroy this temple and in three days I'll rebuild it. And he was speaking about himself. And, and at that time, they didn't understand. And they still don't understand in chapter 10. They still don't understand. But the very presence of God is there. Is there. And yet, they still hoped in a physical thing. I wonder how many of us come to church in that way. We have this building, we have this place, we have a lot of ministries going on. And and in some senses, it's not necessarily wrong to hope in these things. But where are you placing your hope? Is your hope placed in how things run or how things go? Or is your hope placed in Jesus Christ? Do you have a relationship with him? Do you believe that he is God incarnate? Do you believe that he died for your sin? Do you believe that he came to this world not just to give a message, but to be the hope of the world? Did you believe, do you believe that he sacrificed his life for your sin so that you can have a relationship with him? See, we can believe a lot of things about Harvest Mississauga, a lot of things that are good about it. But the most important thing is do we believe in the Savior, the one, the Lord who established this place, who established your relationship with him and who established the relationships that are sitting around you? the people around you. It is Christ, Christ alone. So although it was a symbol, they did not see it. They did not see Christ. They did not truly know him. Which leads to to the second part, which is the question. And the Jews asked this question, are you who we hoped for? Are you who we hoped for? Now it doesn't necessarily say this in the text, but if we take a look, From verse 24, it says this, So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. You are not among my sheep. You see, they asked Jesus a very important question, but they went, they asked it with all the wrong motives. You see, the, what, the text here says that they gathered around him. Uh, this is not like, you know, in basketball, you gather around, uh, you know, your coach, and you're like, okay, what are we doing now? Let's do this. Let's, let's beat the Warriors, right? Which, praise the Lord. Isn't it great? We're champions. Isn't that awesome? Wow. So happy. Now I'm to catch up on my sleep. All right. So anyways, um, so this is not like some sort of like, you know, huddle where, you know, they're going around really sincerely asking Jesus, coach us, coach us, tell us who you are. No, it's a forceful asking. It's like a gang, ganging around, you know, uh, gathering around somebody and saying and forcing that person to answer. Saying like, you must answer us. Tell us plainly. Stop keeping us in suspense. And it seems like they're very, not only forceful, but almost violent. And if you see afterwards, they almost tried to stone him, right? So their attitude was not, Jesus, tell us who you are. It was like, Jesus, tell us who you are, because I want to know if you're the Messiah. 
And the problem with that attitude is that they, they had an they had a, they had a expectation. They had a presupposition. And the presupposition is that the Messiah would come and, and that he would reign and rule and that he would be able to take on the Romans in a political and military way and that, they would be, that he would be the national leader. You know, the Messiah, in their minds, was not necessarily God. It was a ruler. It was a person who could, who could take them out of their suffering. And rightly so, if I were them, I would be like, I'm looking for that person too. But they weren't listening to Jesus. They weren't watching truly what he was doing. They had a problem. They hoped for a Messiah. They did not hope for the Son of God. They hoped for a military king. They did not hope for a true Savior. And so this is their problem. This was their predicament. They wanted to know, are you that one? Are you that one? You see, there's not a lack of information here. It's not that Jesus gave them, you know, too little information about himself. By the way, if you see all throughout the book of John from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 10, like Jesus gives so many opportunities for them to know who he is. And yet they're blinded, Right? So many opportunities, feeding of the 5,000, the, 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 uh, the, um, the miracle of the lame man, the, 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 um, the blind man being so that he could see. All these illustrations, all these things that he was saying, I am God, I am God, I am God. And yet, they did not believe. See, the problem was not that they didn't have enough information. The problem was they went to Jesus with the wrong attitude. The wrong attitude. The attitude was, you give me what I want right now. You tell me what I want to hear right now. Because if you don't, all that I hope for is going to be crushed. And you know what? I'm going to get it elsewhere. I'm, I, 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 want, I want so badly to be free from this situation. So Jesus, Jesus, you need to be that person. Tell me, come on. It's about my life. And about the life of the Jews. Their ears were closed. Their eyes were closed. They did not hear Jesus. Notice what it says in the text there. um, Verse 25. Sorry, verse 27. "My My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. See, Jesus' answer was that the reason why you don't believe is because you're not my sheep. The first indication that you are a sheep or you are truly a child of God or that you truly have Jesus as your shepherd is that you believe in him. The second is that you, you hear his voice. And the third is that you follow him. And that you follow him. The text says here, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Jesus here is bringing back the whole illustration of the good shepherd. That, that he is their shepherd. But the Jewish people rejected that idea because they didn't want a shepherd. They wanted a military king. They wanted someone to solve their issues. They did not want to surrender to the one who came to die for them. To lay down his life for them. He, they did not want that at all. 
sheep. Jesus tells us that sheep hear his voice. His sheep hear his voice. He knows them and they follow him. I was watching YouTube uh, just a, a few days ago and I was uh, just, just found this video. It's really interesting. I think it was someone in, somewhere in Europe where um, there's a group of people and they, uh, they, they're in this um, field and there's just this huge pasture, about a couple acres uh, large, and, uh, and there's this fence and the visitors go and, and they test. Uh, there's a bunch of sheep, like probably a, a couple hundred sheep, and they test and they start calling out to the sheep. And, and, and every visitor gets a chance to call and, you know, make all kinds of noises and speak in different languages and all that kind of stuff. But none of the sheep paid attention. They didn't even make a noise. They didn't go like, bah. They didn't do anything. But, but you know, the funny thing is, the, 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 the farmer goes up there and he stands by the fence. And I, I don't know what language he's speaking, but he just says a few words. And he's just, and you can hear from all corners of, of, this, of the field, like they, they're just, they're, they're responding, and then they all come at once to, to, to the farmer, to the shepherd. It's amazing how sheep respond. It's amazing how sheep respond when they know they are loved and they're protected. They, 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 they hear the shepherd's voice. They hear it because they recognize the shepherd's voice, and they recognize, yes, that is my shepherd. No other person, no other, you know, Anyone is my shepherd. The shepherd, I hear him, and I must go to him. And all these sheep go to him. They say sheep are dumb, but I don't think so. Because if they recognize the shepherd, they obviously know how to get food and where to find protection and shelter. And you and I know that too. If you're a believer today, this is why it's so important to know that Jesus Christ is your shepherd. That we have a shepherd and that, that he's provided us all that we need in him. All that we need in him. About four weeks ago, I was in the hospital, as some of you know. I went there three times to the ER, different hospitals, because I had some palpitations and some issues and some heart, you know, ish, you know kind of symptoms. Uh, and I, I didn't know what it was and it was actually very stressful. The first time I went, I was like, okay, I just need to find out what's going on. They sent me home. Nothing's going on. Everything's fine. Second time, symptoms continued. Went home, home again. Third time, they sent me again. And that was when I got mad. I was like, what's going on? Right? And I was mad at myself, too. And I was angry. I was upset. I was like, why am I in this situation? You know, what? I'm, I'm, I'm serving you, Lord. Why, why are you giving me, like, all these physical problems? And it was at that time I, I, was, I needed to hear the shepherd's voice. And I needed to let, ask God, God, what are you saying to me? What are you showing me, Lord? Because at that point, I had to surrender. And it, it was like the third time. You know, third time's a charm. Like, right? why, why would I surrender after going through all that? I don't know why. The Lord knew that it, that's what it took. For me to say, Lord, what are you truly saying to me? I don't want to just get out of the situation. I don't want to just say, oh, Lord, okay, I'm healthy now. Okay, I can go on with life. I want to know, Lord, right at this moment, with the trial that you're giving me, what are you saying to me? And the next, very next day, he brought me to Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and following. And it says uh, that salvation, the grace of God has, has, has appeared to all men. 
granting salvation, training us, training us to renounce all ungodliness and worldly passions and to teach us how to live self-controlled lives. So I always thought the grace of God was, was in my life so that I could live a life that was, you know, that was comfortable, that if I have a trial, God's grace can come along and say, thank you, Lord, I prayed this and it happened, thank you, Lord. And, and by the way, that is the grace of God. But what I was hearing from the shepherd's voice was that that is not only the, the, uh, the voice of God. It's not, sorry, that's not only what the grace of God is. The grace of God is when you're in a situation that he shows you how you need to be trained. That's God's grace because he loves you so much. He loves me so much that he knows that there's areas of self-control that, uh, you know, that I need to have in my life that, are, that, that he needs to work in my life. Now I need to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And I need to now walk more firmly in my faith. You see, this was an opportunity of faith building. And it's because of God's word that, that, that moved into my heart that I was willing to listen. And, and, I, and I can tell you this. I'm not always willing to listen. I feel like that lost sheep sometimes. I feel like I'm just like trying to graze in another pasture. And Jesus is calling us back, especially during trial, to tell us that his grace is sufficient for us, for his power is made perfect in weakness. So that in his power, when we recognize our weakness, we recognize what he is doing in our life. And that gives us joy. That gives us hope. And we can hear finally, ah, I hear you, God. I experience you. I know that you're working in my life. That's the good shepherd. My wife and I are also planning on moving from Markham to the west side. Some of you know that I live in Markham, lived in Markham. Uh, well, when I first came here, I um, was commuting. I still am commuting. Um, and it's a long ways. But, but we've been praying about where to live, right? And where to move. And, 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 and so we have a real estate agent. We have a mortgage broker. We have all, all that stuff, right? And... Uh, and it's funny because Ann and I, we, we've been, you know, house searching for a few weeks. And, and week after week, it gets more stressful. Oh, this place was sold. That place was sold. And then my real estate agent is saying this. My mortgage broker says I can only borrow this. And all this kind of stuff. My parents are saying this. Her parents are saying this. Our family members. And you know what? There's so many voices. There's so many voices. And, and, and two nights ago, Ann and I, uh, in our stress, as well as in our de uh, desperation, we were just saying, Lord, we, we, we don't want to hear any of these voices anymore. It, it may be good. There may be good suggestion. We just want to hear your voice. You want to hear your voice. And you know how that happens? It's not because some, you know, we're praying and all of a sudden we hear this audible voice. No, it's not, it's not like that. For us, the reason why we can hear his voice is because we have confidence that we pray about it. You know, when we have confidence that we are actually praying about uh, you know, our move and, and where to go, we are, we are enabling ourselves to hear the shepherd's voice. We are enabling ourselves to be a sheep, listening to where the shepherd is going. And so it's, it's, it's an interesting process. Like, there's so many things, details, money, and all that kind of stuff, but God is in control, and I believe that. 
you know? And are there gonna be days of stress and, and, and difficulty ahead? Absolutely. But I know where I can go. And my wife and I know where we should go. And that's back to the Lord in prayer, surrendering and listening to his voice, listening to what he would want us to, where he would want us to go, where he would want us. And he does prepare a place, right? Because if, if Jesus is preparing a place for us in heaven, how much more is he also providing for us here and now? Amen? He already knows your situation. And by faith, we say, Lord, what are you trying to tell us? Where, what should we do? So sheep believe, hear, and follow. But not only that, he goes on to say in verse 28, and here is where we get to the middle of the message, and it's probably the most important part of what Jesus is saying here. Verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. This is a declaration of a theological truth now. He's not talking about sheep um, anymore. He's talking about a theological definite answer between God and a person who believes in him. Between Himself, Jesus Christ, and a person who believes in him, right? It's a definite reality. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son that whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. This is not an if, an and, or but. This is period, Right? Christ gives you eternal life if you have faith in him. Jesus says here, they will never perish. They will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My sister uh, told me a few days ago of this story when she was really young, and I actually don't remember this, but she said, she said, uh, she said, Andrew, like when I was younger, I remember going to the uh, Tower of Terror. Is that Tower of Terror in uh, Disney World? I think it's, it's there. I don't remember if it's that or anything, but it's something terror. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so she was very young. I, w I think I was there. But she told me, she said, Andrew, like when I, when I was in that building and uh, I was scared, the first thing I called out, the first thing I said was, can someone hold my hand? Can someone hold my hand? I can't say it in the cute way that she said it, but then, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, she was, she was desperate. She's like, can someone hold my hand? And my dad was right there, and my dad held her hand, held it tightly. There's security. There's love. There's protection. And I don't think he let go of her hand until the entire thing was done. Probably even afterwards. Because no one can snatch you away from the Father's hand because of his protection and love. All you need to do is you call out to him. He is always there. 
And, and the reality of the truth of, of this text is that not only will, uh, not only uh, does, um, is, is there security in, in the hands of Jesus, but in the hands of the Father. In verse 29, it says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is the first and only declaration that I and the Father are one. This very clear declaration that there is no distinction between God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ, in their power and, and, and the presence of their reality. It's, 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 it's the Father and the Son in tandem, true to who he is. God is. And so... Jesus here is saying, no, none of these sheep can be taken away from me. And none of these sheep can be taken away of the Father. Because both me and the Father are the shepherd of these sheep. And you know, you may, you may be sitting here this morning and thinking, well, my circumstance and situation, I feel at times that I've been snatched away. Or, or, or I feel at times that, 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 that my faith is being pulled in all kinds of directions at work and, at, and in my family and the, and the trials that I'm going through. And I just, I sometimes have to throw in the towel and say, I don't know if I believe anymore. I don't know if that true shepherd is really the shepherd of my soul. And I want to declare to you today that there's nothing more sure than the eternal security that you have in Christ Jesus. No circumstance, no situation, no trial, no difficulty do you go through that can separate you from the love of Christ that, is, that, 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 that belongs to you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. And so when you go through your day in this, during this week uh, and, and next week and into the years to follow, let, let your soul be reminded of what Jesus said, that no one can snatch you away from him and that you are eternally secure in his hands. You are eternally secure. This is the great hope that we have. As Jesus walked around Solomon's portico, around the temple, during the Feast of Dedication, everyone didn't see that. They were looking at the temple for their hope. They were looking to their religious order for their hope. They were looking to their sacrificial order. They were looking to the way that they were doing ministry and doing things. But they were not looking to Jesus. And the point Jesus is saying here is, if you look to me, I will be your shepherd. I will be your shepherd. And as your shepherd, no one can take you away. And what this means is not that you won't go through trials, not that you won't feel like you're stretched in your faith, but what this means is from, from the time you came to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior till eternity, that Jesus has you in his hands and he is... Your salvation is sealed. There is no such thing as someone who comes to Christ in a true and real repentant way and loses their salvation. Nowhere in scripture does it talk about that. Instead, we believe in the perseverance of the saints, that, 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 that God, who was, began, God who began a good work in us will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ when he returns, right? 
So we have hope in this eternal security in Christ Jesus. Psalm 23, if you, if you notice, uh, you know, it says there, um, the Lord is my shepherd. I, now sh- I shall not want. It's, it's a very fascinating first phrase, right? The Lord is my shepherd. But it's a, there's a problem there. Only David is brave enough to say that. And when we read it, we know the reality of why he's brave. That he's so brave. It's because back in the Old Testament, you do not use the word Yahweh. You don't, you don't, you don't use the covenant name of God, Yahweh, in, in, in public. You don't, you don't say anything like that. Now, now, he's, now David is actually saying, the Lord is my shepherd. It's even worse. It's like, not only are you not allowing for that, that, uh, um, that phrase of God, Yahweh, to be sacred, now you're putting yourself close to him. And, and this, is, this is how true like the gospel is. The gospel is that we have a holy God who is absolutely 100% pure and holy. And yet he wants a relationship with us. So he's provided a covenant of grace to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. And to anyone who believes in him, not only will they not perish, but they now become sheep. And now God becomes shepherd there's that relationship there's that beautiful love relationship between that relationship of love and of security between God and the believer no one can snatch us away from the father no one can snatch us away from Jesus Finally, we come to the point where in this story, there's hopeless unbelief, hopeless unbelief. In verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. So once again, the Jews wanted to stone him because he was claiming to be God. He's claiming to be God. But the interesting thing that Jesus, the interesting response that Jesus had really helped them, hopefully helped them uh, and showed them that, um, that, uh, that he is God. So in verse 34, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are God's? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? So Jesus here is bringing the Old Testament back and letting them see the, the law itself. Now in Psalm chapter 82, where this is written, Psalm 82 says this, God has taken his place in the divine council. The word divine council is the divine assembly. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and to the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. 
They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge of the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. Now notice what it says there in uh, the second uh, paragraph I said you are God's sons of the Most High. The word God's, lowercase g-o-d-s, is not, Jesus did not uh, quote this uh, because he was trying to come up with a new idea that it's not monotheism any, anymore, it's polytheism. No, he's not, he's not trying to say that there's many gods. He's not saying that the Israelites were really gods. What he is saying is that in this passage, the word gods, lowercase g-o-d-s, was a state of honor. An honor. A word of honor. Because they were supposed to be the good shepherds. You know that Israel was supposed to shepherd the people. And Israel was supposed to do good to those who were needy. Israel was, was, was to help those who were afflicted. But no, they didn't do any of that. And the judges and the kings, they failed they failed. And in Psalm 82, it reveals to uh, the, 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 uh, the reader that the Jews f- failed and the Israelites failed. The judges failed. And that's why it says there, nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. <laughs> the reality is there is no one on this earth that can hold the title of God. No one on this earth can even compare. And, and, and in this case, Jesus is saying, if you knew that the Old Testament has this honor upon those judges and those Israelites, why, why, why do you not now even consider me as I do all these works, as I've... As I've um, uh, casted out demons, as I've done all these things that no one has ever done? Why don't you consider that I am the Son of God? And so in this text here, it says in verse 36, Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? He's making a statement here. Jesus saying, Jesus is saying, The Father has consecrated me and sent me into the world. And and, and yet in the Old Testament, like it talks about how there was honor bestowed upon those righteous so-called judges, but they were not. And yet now you know that that's been written of them, that that before they they are men that were going to die. And now how about my claim? My claim is that right now I am here and I am doing all these works, all these works to show you that I and the Father are one. And yet you do not believe me. You do not believe me. In verse 25, it clearly says... Jesus answered, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. Verse 37, 
He then says, if I am not doing the works of the Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you, know, you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. What, basically what he's saying is, if you cannot believe me as a person, at least believe the works that I do so that that can connect you to understanding that it comes from the Father and hopefully that will result in you concluding that I and, I and the Father are one. He's trying to help them. He's trying to help them to see that one plus one equals two, right? I mean, like one is Jesus is making these claims because he and the Father are one and, and, and he is doing the works of the Father and, and, and the other one is that he's actually doing it. He, he actually is doing all of that. So his claims match his actions. And so one plus one equals two. And, it's, and it, should, it should ring the bell of those people, but it didn't. It didn't. There was hopeless unbelief. There was hopeless unbelief. But I want to give you hope. Let's read down in verse 40 and 41. It says, he went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first and there remained. And many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. There's hope. And maybe in your circumstances right now, you know, there are people around you and you've been witnessing to them for a long time and there's hopeless unbelief. There's this kind of like, scales on their, in their, on, around their eyes and there's nothing that you can say that could persuade them. But, but in this passage, let's remember this. Let's remember this. That there are people who believe. And the people that you're sharing the gospel could be the ones who believe. So let's continue to do that. Continue to share the gospel with your friends and family. Continue to show them the love of Christ. Even though in this story there was hopeless unbelief from the Jews, there were others around the area where John baptized that believed and came to know him. Some closing remarks. Maybe this morning you're, you're saying, I haven't heard the voice of the Lord in a long time. I, I really haven't. I go to church and, and I, I, I attend a small group and there's things I do to try to hear God's voice and, and, and I just don't know why I can't. May I encourage you in one thing? Don't give up. Don't give up. Because when a sheep really wants something, they're going to follow the shepherd until he gives it. And if you desire to follow the shepherd, if you desire to, to, to walk in his ways, you will soon hear his voice. Maybe not an audible one, but from his word, through conversations, through circumstances and situations that you're placed in, God will show you by the power of his spirit what he wants you to do and how you to live and change. Maybe this morning you're struggling with the eternal security. You're like, I just don't know if I'm truly saved. I don't know if I can say that when I die one day that I'll be with 
God in heaven because of all that I've done wrong. And I still carry that weight and that guilt and that shame. And I don't know why those pieces in my life are not being washed away. But brothers and sisters, let's remember what Jesus said. You can go to him. You don't have to be like the Jews who had, who had their expectations set on something completely different. You can set those aside and you can come to Christ fully, completely, 100% surrender to him. And he will save you. He will give you new life. He will shepherd you. And maybe this morning you're like, I need that eternal security. I've never turned to Christ. I've never asked him to be my shepherd. I just hope that after service you would come up and talk with me and I just want to pray for you. The Lord is your shepherd. You can come to him. And finally... Let's remember that everything that we have comes from God. All the ministry that we have here at this church, Pastor Ted leading the church for years, and Pastor Chris and Pastor Marv and all of them, and and all the small groups that are around and all the things that are happening in our church, there's one shepherd. There's one shepherd, Jesus Christ, shepherding us. And we can know for sure that our salvation is secure. Nothing can take us away from the firm grip of God in Christ Jesus. And let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much for our time. And Lord, this, this passage... There's so much to go through, but Lord, you are so faithful to us. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, I just pray that you will help us to walk with you. Help us to recognize, Lord, that you are our shepherd and that there's no one, nothing that can take us away from you. That we are eternally secure in you. That our salvation is secure. There's nothing we can do that can make you love us more. And there's nothing that we have done that will make you love us any less. So Lord, please, may you provide that assurance of the eternal security among your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.